Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Walden. Today, Paolo De Marchi is going to tell us about Isole e Olena, his family's estate winery in the western part of Chianti Classico in Tuscany. Paolo, welcome. Nice to have you. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting. Okay, first question is, let's talk about the name Isole e Olena. What is Isole and what is Olena? We get to the to the point. Uh, these are little hamlets. In old times, there were two estates, the estate of Isole and the estate of Olena, little hamlets where the sharecroppers used to live. So it always goes back uh, to the memory of the time of sharecropping. So no castle, no big villa, the hamlet of the sharecropping. So the sharecropping was when? In the 1950s? The sharecropping was uh, coming back uh, centuries. In Tuscany? uh, In Tuscany and uh, ended uh, extremely fast, uh, dramatically in the middle of the 60s. So what does sharecropping mean now? Sharecropping was a system of farming but was also a social organization where a big estate was uh, divided into units called podere, given to a family of peasants, and they were farming, mixed farming, producing almost all what they needed, and dividing a little more than 50% to the family, and a little less than 50% to the estate. And it was very clearly ruled who was doing what, who had to pay for what. Very little money in the system, and was just producing the food that they needed. And the next question is, it's not just called Isole e Olena, but Fattoria Isole e Olena. What is a Fattoria? Fattoria is the name of the estate organized with the sharecropping contract. So most big estates, medium and big estates in Chianti, used to be Fattorie. So where there was a, a fattore, a foreman, working for the family of the owners who usually was not living in the estate. There were noble families of people living in Florence, Siena, Rome. It was the estate which was made up with different poderi. So in old time they were saying, uh, how, how big is uh, your fattoria? It was not the number of hectares, but was uh, is, uh, five poderi, is, uh, seven poderi, is ten poderi, because the poderi was uh, usually more or less the same size. Okay, now your family is from Piemonte, where you have three generations of wine growing under your belt. Did it help that when you came to Isole Eolena in 1976, you were an outsider? I was an outsider, somehow I'm still an outsider. <laughs> I've been extremely lucky because I came here in a time of big changes, so the doors were open to new ideas and uh, new people. Everything helps. We need to understand what uh, what we receive from the past, the past of the family, the past of the place where we are. I consider the past is uh, understanding the, and the thinking of the past is one of the way we have to imagine the future. This is, uh, is my idea of tradition. So taking the best traditions, the old pleasant traditions. Understanding where we come from. I think uh, we, it's difficult, very difficult to know where we want to go if we don't understand where we come from. And I consider the only way to understand modern Chianti is to think uh, of the end of the sharecropping economy, how things happened, how fast they happened, how the, what the problems were. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense uh, what has happened in the 70s and the 80s, all the super Tuscan, all the not uh, local varieties. Uh, so the French varieties coming in. French varieties came in. So when you started Isle, was it, it was still very traditional. It was still mainly based on the Tuscan grape varieties like Canaolo, but mainly Sangiovese, Malvasinera. It was uh, only based 
based on the Tuscan variety, which is not like... a bad thing, but it it was uh, it became a bad thing because of the sudden end of the sharecropping. Because uh, when my father bought the estate uh, in 1956, it was uh, all on a very strict uh, traditional uh, sharecropping, so 120-130 people living on the estate, no mechanization and producing everything, and you consuming most of the product uh, on the site. So in the mid of the 60s, in uh, less than five years from 130 people, only 14 people were remaining on the estate. So for the first time, uh, we faced the problem of uh, capital and the problem of producing for the market. Three factors which happened at the same time. The collapse of sharecropping, the new appellation, 67. In Chianti Classico. In Chianti Classico. And because of the collapse of sharecropping, so Chianti was literally abandoned. And the new appellation, Europe made a five-year project to give a new life to modernization of Chianti, which was done in a time of big changes, but on an appellation rules, which was thought and written according to the sharecropping economy. So because of the five years plan and the money, sometimes it's good to get money, to get help, but sometimes it's not good if we do not sit down and think of what to do. New people coming, so all the factors which are important for the quality and have to come in balance, so understanding the soil, in the climate, the genetic of what we plant. And the people who makes it uh, were in a kind of uh, trouble. Uh, it's very difficult to make things uh, in, well done in balance when uh, all the quality factors are not clear and balanced and not in balance. You talk about these replanting, this replanting of, uh, of traditional but also the French varieties, but you were quite unique in the fact that you wanted to replant Sangiovese vines that gave lower yields but more flavoured, more concentrated wine, whereas everybody else was seeming to go for, for high volume, pilot high cellar cheap. Is that true? I think it is a, a way of look at it. It's not exactly... I think we have to be very careful to judge uh, the past uh, with uh, the eyes uh, of today. We were kind of lost, and not just myself, and there were the big companies, they knew what was going on with the new rules and all the plantings. I think of an appellation which uh, replants uh, the totality of the vineyards in five years. It is an easy consequence to imagine, but it is what happened. When you replant everything, then you have the whole appellation with young vines. And also because of the sharecropping quality of wine was made uh, with a lot of white grapes, because the sharecroppers, they needed to drink the wine immediately after the harvest. Probably they were getting to the harvest and the wine of the year before was, was finished and they needed wine. And most of the time they were drinking wine, uh, one third of wine and two thirds of water. For years, I tried to have my older sharecroppers who became workers. I, I was trying to have them tasting the new wines I was making, and the answer was, I don't drink wine. Probably the sharecropping time, uh, the consumption per person was uh, over 200 liters in this region. And the answer is, I don't drink wine? Yes, I don't drink pure wine, because they used to drink wine to give acidity to the water, working long hours outside in the hot climate. And the wine which was exceeding the needs was uh, sold most states were not bottling the wine and it was sold to the big merchants and the big merchants had to face the problem of uh, fixing the wine for the market. The EC project started in 67 and ended in 72. 
the most famous wines, Tignanello. The first vintage was released in 71. Tignanello was a, was a wine obviously starved for an international market, whereas previously Chianti was, as you're saying, it was drunk, almost all of it was drunk locally, by the, either by the farmers, the peasants, uh, uh, or... Yes, but the whole region uh, with the new plantings had to look at the market. Uh, local, but not a local uh, on the estates. Italian, let us say, and international. And the wines produced with the, with the new appellation uh, were disappointing, not only because of the white grapes, but because of doing things too fast. So Sangiovese is a great variety, but if you plant Sangiovese without checking what you plant, without working on it, you have a gap which you cannot fill because when you plant a vineyard, in theory, you are thinking of 50 years. So when I moved to the estate in 1976, it was kind of a big question mark and was the problem was where to start. Those Vineyards also been planted uh, without much respect uh, of the soil because, you know, finally mechanization, uh, no people. The big trouble at that time was uh, labor. So big tractors, bigger tractors, big caterpillars and bigger caterpillars to make the hills flat almost. All the system of the walls, of the water, the hills, you know, trying to f- make a bigger single pieces of vineyards. And then uh, big demand with the nurseries of Sangiovese. So there was no selections, a lot of um, Sangiovese not so good uh, being planted. So it was a total revolution, basically. The the landscape, the physical aspect of the landscape changed. What was planted in the vineyards changed. So more production-oriented system. More production-oriented, because uh, this this is history, and we cannot uh, argue with history. I think the big difference uh, between history and tradition, history has already happened. Tradition is uh, understanding history, and understanding where we come from, but uh, working and changing things to have a better future, I think, trade, to transport, to deliver trade. So tradition is something which is always moving, it has a lot of human factor in it, and is the effort of keeping things alive. So, thanks God, Chianti is alive, had a very difficult time, but he's alive, he's extremely alive. So, I'd been working, but I never thought I was the only one. I had my way. I mean, somehow, lucky because I was not from here. So I had a kind of a more open mind because I just needed to understand where I was. And where I was was chaotic. So I had to place things on priorities. And Sangiovese is the most important variety. So it was nature to have Sangiovese as the number one priority. We had not the financial strength to replant vineyards planted 10 years before. So we had to do what, what we had. So trying to improve and understand. But you're very unusual in the sense that you know, you've been making top quality wine that everybody loves for 30 years and you've never ever had a consultant. You work things out for yourself. I think quality, if we want to make what I call a wine of origin, quality is not something that we have to have preconceived in our, in our brain. If we decide how the wine has to be, is the first step towards food industry. And then the use of technology and the trying to change what we got from nature. So you're saying and that rather than, rather than, even before you've picked a grape, you know exactly what the wine is going to taste like. It's almost like you're, you're selling it's Lego. A, it's a question I asked the vineyard when I tasted the grapes before the harvest. Let us 
see what uh, you, the wine, with the climate of this year, have been able to produce. We make red wine, the quality, potential quality is already in the skin. We have been able to produce and the wines have been able to answer to our needs. And it's not exactly what we want most of the time. So we have to always uh, go back and forth what we would love, what the wines is doing, and then being able to understand. So I'm very flexible in my winemaking according to what I think is possible to produce from the grapes. It's always a gift. The vintage, I accept the vintage which is difficult. I know it will give lighter wines, but I've never been worried with lighter wines as, as long as there is balance. Each vintage has its own balance. So my effort has always been trying to understand where that balance is and respect it. Of course, if we have a cold vintage, take 2014, it's obvious that it will be a lighter wine, but has such a vibrant acidity, what we want to avoid is green tannins, lively acidity, so that wine will be a red Riesling. <laughs> Sangiovese often ages also, I don't say primarily, probably all the Sangiovese used to age very well because of the acidity, much more than because of the tannins. So we have to understand these things and just do, so work for freshness, for acidity, and being extremely light-handed in extraction. And the other vintages were we can do something different. Vintage variation might be a problem on the market, uh, but Sangiovese is a variety which is a temperamental, reacts to all these things, and we have, it's like a little difficult baby, but very interesting. When you go into the vineyard, you don't look at the vineyard as a, as a plot, as a field of, uh, as just one single field, you look at each divine in individually, is that correct? I look at each of the vines, I look at the vineyard, I look at what surrounds the vineyard, because it's also extremely important because it gives a so what like hills or forest or fields forest, or forest forest the beauty of Chianti compared to many other very famous wine region is this mixture vineyards in the middle of the forest vineyards with olives vineyards with a lot of wild nature which is great we did a very interesting research on the wild east we we use wild east but I, I'm also curious and I want to know I want to understand we did the work which started in 2001 a vineyard is five hectares vineyards which is surrounded by like 70 hectares of forest or more and uh, we analyzed the yeast which carried on uh, the spontaneous fermentation very good yeast uh, work was done with a friend of mine at the University of Florence and uh, they preserved the yeast but uh, then my friend went to the US to specialize in DNA of yeast and then in, in 2011 he came back and I asked him uh, I want to do the same uh, we did uh, 10 years ago to see if there is a uh, a family of East. If there is a family relation uh, with the East uh, 10 years before, I mean, 10 years, uh, there's probably millions of generations of East. So we did the same vinification and uh, it is in a direct line of family, which is unbelievable. So the, the, the East are connected. And uh, we started to look where are the East when there is not an active fermentation, because uh, when there is not an active fermentation, the East seems to disappear. And we found, we found in the hornet, in the big wasps, all the social insects they have the yeast in the intestines and the winter larvae they carry in the intestine the good yeast so they are the ones who go when the grapes are almost ripe break the skins and they donate this gift of good yeasts I think it gives a different idea what is a single vineyard what is a crew it's not just the combination of soil and climate but it's the whole life it could be a master of wine question I'd love to see the masters of wine in their exam <laughs> ask a question about how important is our bee populations to wine quality 
I think it's extremely important. This friend of the University of Florence moved to another area in northern Italy, and they told me that it was extremely difficult to find the wild, wild east, and it is because of the spontaneous flora and the insects. Well, that was part one of this Italian wine podcast with Paolo De Marchi of Itole Eolena. Do tune in to part two with Paolo and me, Monty Walden. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.